I'm Alex Underwood. I'm the Managing Director of Empire Energy. We are listed on the Australian Stock Exchange. We are an upstream oil and gas company focused on the emerging Beetaloo sub-basin in Australia's Northern Territory. This is a, a basin that is one of the largest shale gas accumulations on earth. And we are one of the most active players involved in moving this basin from the exploration phase into production and ultimately into very large scale production down the track involving LNG export to Asia. Fantastic. Alex, lovely to have you on the show. First time we've met or spoken. Uh, it is large. Described as third largest shale gas deposit uh, on the planet by uh, the chairman of Dow Chemicals. So, uh, and, and I want to get into how you commercialise that, how you extract that. But first, um, just just give me a sense of um, who the team is. So w w what's your background and, and, and the team around you? Yeah, so I come from an oil and gas investment banking background. I worked for Macquarie Bank for 10 years and then Commonwealth Bank of Australia for a couple of years. Empire is a company that I've been involved in for many, many years because it used to be one of my clients when I was at Macquarie. And uh, under my leadership, we've shifted the focus of the company somewhat away from mature conventional producing assets in the United States to the uh, Beetaloo Basin here in Australia. Um, we have a small but highly effective team. Um, we've, we've got a small uh, management and technical team here in Sydney. We work very closely with Australia's largest oil and gas consultancy by the name of Engage Energy. And, and under that um, uh, team, we've been able to really kick off some pretty awesome records. We've, we've drilled the longest horizontals in the basin to date, the biggest frack jobs in Australian history, and we're rapidly driving towards uh, the early commercialisation in a pilot project. Okay, right. But it's, I think it's fair to say shale's not really as well understood uh, in Australia as it would be in, in the American market, where you know, obviously it's been going a long, long time. So I um, just want to start with the understanding of the project. So when did you guys pick this up and you know, what have you done since? Yeah, so it's, it's actually quite an interesting story of how we ended up with this shale asset in Australia. Under former management, our company owned uh, producing conventional shale, uh, sorry, producing conventional gas assets in Pennsylvania, and by pure serendipity, just happened to be sitting over what the Marcellus Shale, which is now about thirty percent of America's gas production, and the and the company under that leadership sold those assets for a very substantial profits. And our former CEO thought, well, if there are shale basins in the US, there must be shale basins elsewhere, and so uh, he teamed up with John Warburton, who now sits on our board and identified the Beetaloo and MacArthur Basins. That was back in about 2011. Uh, we picked up a very large acreage holding, 14 and a half million acres. And now under my leadership, I joined in 2018, we've really been invigorating the company's efforts to, to not only hold that acreage, but really de-risk it and now move into commercialisation. Well, well, that's it's an interesting time actually, because you think of what uh, oil and gas sector has been through over the past few years, obviously, Last year or so has been a little bit better, um, helped help by supply chain issues around the world off the back of Russia-Ukraine situation. But um, it, it's been tough for small companies to take on, you know, big regional plays. And how do you go about financing? I mean, how much money has been spent on this thing to date? It's a very good question. I mean, um, you know, having previously been a financier of projects like this, I do understand how challenging financing these projects can be. Um, over the last five years under my leadership, we've, we've probably invested somewhere in the order of 70 to $80 million. And, you know, while that's a significant amount of capital for a company of our size, it, it's been really pleasing to have very strong support from our shareholders. If you look at our major shareholders, 
a lot of them are highly successful investors in unconventional, i.e. coal seam methane gas in Australia, and they recognise that potential for very significant value creation. Um, you know, I, another thing I think that uh, small companies can do that bigger companies cannot necessarily do is, um, you know, you, you can actually be quite nimble with the way you allocate capital and, and you can find ways to really, um, you know, make the most of every dollar you invest. And, you know, I think when you look at the amount of work we've achieved with that capital we've invested, we've, we've actually gone quite a long way already. Right. But so to tell me what you have done, because I'm, I'm interested in, you know, what you what you inherited in terms of the data set, or, you know, large landmark is great, but it, you could argue it's a liability in some way. So, you know, what did you know? And then what did you have to, you know, find out and, and, and to be able to deliver a strategy, whatever that strategy may be? Yeah. So when the company initially acquired these assets, the data set was incredibly sparse. Um, there had been a lot of drilling for uh, minerals across this part of the Northern Territory. As you can imagine, Australia's been heavily explored for minerals, but mineral exploration wells tend to be quite shallow. Um, back in the uh, 1970s, there was drilling for conventional oil and gas in this area. And, and that was quite handy because that showed us that there were these prolific shale formations. Um, back in those days, shale was never um, targeted because it wasn't until the advent of horizontal drilling and fracking that gas could be commercially exploited from these shales. Um, there was a, a relatively slow ramp up, but, but recently, you know, in the last two, three years, there's been a lot of work done. So we've done a couple of seismic surveys. We drilled our first vertical well, Carpentaria 1 in 2019. Uh, that proved that these shales were coming through our um, tenement. And then since then, we've drilled another two horizontal wells, which we've fracked and which we're going through flow testing at the moment. So we're moving up that curve relatively quickly now. Right, Ben, but to what to what end? What, what are you trying to do? Because like I say, you know, big big projects can be a real drain on, well, for in terms of dilution, in terms of having to go and find, you know, create, I don't know, get partners in or find way, creative ways to kind of fund these things. So have you got, uh, you talk about being nimble, so how nimble do you need to be to kind of move this thing forward? Yeah, so um, it, it's, it's very well known by the industry that the Beetaloo Basin contains an enormous volume of gas. And these shales are very laterally consistent across hundreds of kilometres. Um, so so the, the sort of the expiration phase is behind us now. We are very much in the appraisal phase. So, you know, it's one thing to have lots of gas under the ground, uh, but unless you can extract it commercially, uh, then it's going to stay there, right? So what we and other players in the industry are doing in the Beetaloo Basin now is, is not searching for gas, but rather drilling horizontal wells um, and then working out how to fracture stimulate these wells. So in the US, these learning curves have been created over lots of different shale basins. Um, you know, the Beetaloo is really the first major shale basin in Australia that's going through this process. And essentially what we're doing is leveraging off a, a lot of learning that's occurred in the US over the last 20 years, but then trying to apply those learnings to a quite unique geology because these rocks are much, much older than the US shale basins. And so essentially, it's a process of research and development to apply fracture stimulation techniques from the US into this basin and to look to achieve commercial flow rates. And that's really our core focus right now is what flow rates can we get from these wells? And then how efficiently can we drill and fracture stimulate them to bring the price, the costing down? Right. Okay. So it's not a case of if, it's a, 
it's a case of when and how efficiently. So, so I mean, to to that point, I come back. I keep coming back to the how does this thing get funded? Because you can't keep going out and raising equity, equity, you know. Because I know you guys are management are big shareholders in this, um, but you don't. So you especially don't want to keep diluting yourself. So, how does this opportunity get commercialized? Yeah. So to date, we have been issuing equity to fund our operations and. As you pointed out, our, our board of directors own over 20% of the company. That is that is real cash that we've put into the company. It's not like a lot of other small companies that just get free options. We've, we've put our own capital to work here. And I think that's really important because our incentive is to create value, but also to protect downside. Um, we, you know, being, being a former oil and gas financier myself, I understand that evolution that you go through as a company and ultimately, you know, you want to move from issuing equity to fund your operations to, to realistically being able to seek project finance. What project financiers want to see is they want to see gas sales agreements and they want to see um, commercial flow rates. And then they want to see a, a really strong um, a development plan in place and obviously all of the regulatory approvals. Um, we are going through the process of ticking all of those boxes. And one thing that I'm quite excited about that we recently announced is that Macquarie Bank, um, my former employer, um, has provided us a small funding facility. It's only about $15 million at this stage. Um, and that's to fund some environmental bonds. And also uh, that's um, a further forwarding of capital that will be secured against future tax rebates that we're expecting later this year. But that facility was structured to be able to grow into a project finance facility. So. This year for us is all about seeking to achieve commercial flow rates, signing gas sales agreements, uh, and getting the regulatory approvals in place, particularly with Indigenous um, uh, traditional owners. That's a very important stakeholder group in the Northern Territory. Uh, and then pulling together our front-end engineering and design to move towards a final investment decision on the pilot project, hopefully later this year. Okay, so I'm, so look, I'm, I'm trying to keep this conversation fairly high level. Um, and if you guys come back on, we can, we can kind of dig into the weeds a little bit. But um, with regards to the, the, the again, the commercialization bit, I'm, I'm going to, also I'm going to kind of skip past the technical thing. You're going through a process of working at the most efficient way of getting the, 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 the gas out, great. And um, we can talk about that another time. But the commercialization bits, that, Let's say you you can work out the most effective way of doing this and work out what your margins look like. You've got to sell this stuff. So, what's the you know Northern Territories market for gas like, and how much of this has got to you know be liquids and you know sold offshore? So, what, what are you imagining um, that looking like? Yeah, so we we have a two phase commercialization strategy. The first phase is focused on getting the pilot project up and running. We're quite fortunate that there's actually a pipeline running right through our tenement only about five kilometres from our drilling sites. So while this is a quite remote area, we are connected to infrastructure. It is a small pipeline. It services uh, a zinc mine uh, called MacArthur River, which is owned by Glencore, which is just 80 or 90 kilometres down the road from us. Our, our first phase commercialisation strategy is to fill that pipe up with gas. So that's about a 25 million cubic feet a day opportunity. Um, for those who are not oil and gas people, that's about $60, $70 million a, a year of, of revenue. Um, but that is very much a, a proof of concept um, and, and really balance sheet sustainability exercise that gets us into cash flow and production. The, the bigger prize is, is much, much bigger. We are talking about um, LNG export through Darwin and potentially Queensland. 
Uh, and to that end, we've signed an MOU with APA Group, Australia's largest pipeline operator. That's about a $12 billion company. They have an extensive network of pipes right across Australia. And, and they've in working with them, they have developed uh, what they call their northern strategy, which is to follow existing pipeline routes, but with much larger pipes to Darwin, where there is capacity to add LNG export trains. Uh, and then also a new pipeline that would connect into Mount Isa in Queensland, from where they have a full uh, network of pipes all the way through to Wollombilla, which can service the LNG export terminals in Queensland, but also Brisbane, Sydney and Melbourne. Um, you know, these developments are coming at a really critical time for our gas market. Um, you know, the East Coast gas um, crisis, as they call it here, is almost daily news in our financial papers. There's a, a big shortage of gas on our East Coast, but also in the Northern Territory, the markets are getting quite tight due to a very limited number of sources of existing supply and the um, reliability issues that that creates. I mean, it's, it's kind of interesting um, political situation, you know, with obviously the Queensland market, you talk about Brisbane in there, um, you know, the Northern Territories, these are not necessarily big towns. So in terms of your ability to sell into those territories, are they, are they being restricted by other things such as, you know, infrastructure build? I know you talk about the pipeline um, group, but are there other infrastructure restraints or constraints um, in place that, uh, you know, may, may hold you back? So there is um, existing pipeline infrastructure that connects the Northern Territory to Australia's East Coast. That's through a pipeline called the Northern Gas Pipeline that connects Tennant Creek to Mount Isa. It's a relatively small pipe, a current capacity of around 100 million cubic feet a day. Um, there, is, there are plans afoot to increase the capacity of that pipe. Um, so, so, you know, we do envisage that in the coming years, additional gas from the Beedaloo can go into Australia's East Coast without much further pipeline development. You can also increase the capacity of pipes through compression and looping and things like that. Um, but ultimately, the, 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 the prize here is so large that, you know, the really what will underwrite that bigger pipeline development will be LNG export. Right, okay. So, you, so I, was, I was actually um, wondering about the kind of storage component at some of these some of these cities, like you know, like Brisbane, etc. Um, but okay, so your 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 kind of your kind of um, um, backstop is the fact that you can sell the do the LNG exports um, into into these ports. Okay, um, with regards to with regards to um, because I imagine that your shareholders are looking at this, or potential shareholders are looking at this um, project and going, "Man, we could we probably should just kind of sit back until that we get a much clearer view of this company, because a much clearer view of what the equity requirements will be, what, what partnerships, joint ventures um, look look like um, before we kind of dive in here." So, I mean, what would you say to those people um, about? the path forward as far as the, the, the numbers? Yeah, I mean, if, if uh, I think about that in terms of what happened with coal seam methane companies in Queensland. So there, there were some incredible success stories in Queensland. One of them was Queensland Gas Company. Um, one of our largest and most supportive shareholders, Dale Elphinstone, was a, was a very substantial shareholder in that business and a director of the company for, for nearly a decade. Um, and there were other, other companies that ultimately got taken over. Um, what, what, what happened with that industry was that there was a relatively slow build-up of, of share price and value over time, but then essentially there was a very, very rapid M&A wave at the end where major, major international companies, you know, BG Group, which is now part of Shell, 
um, uh, Conoco and others came in and, and bought out all of these companies because they essentially knew that at the end, they had the fear of missing out, right? So they had to get in now or never. And we're seeing a similar M&A wave occurring in the Perth Basin in Western Australia, where companies such as Warrego Energy are under, um, you know, under offer. And, you know, these companies, you know, Warrego, for an example, was trading at around 12 cents a share. It looks like it's now going to get taken over for around 34 cents a share. So, you know, when the tipping point happens, which in our view is around demonstration of commercial flow rates, you can see very large value appreciation quite quickly. And that's because the resource base on which we're sitting is so, so large that ultimately, you know, it's our view that larger companies will feel that they need to own a piece of the basin. Right. Okay. Re-rates are good in terms of the cost of money if you need to raise equity, but cash is also you know, quite quite important. Um, to generation of cash is quite important going forward. So you, you mentioned earlier um, the, the pilot plant. With that, will you be able to sell from the pilot plant before building presumably a, a larger demonstration plant? Um, you know, what what you know, what price could you achieve? What sort of cash flow could you uh, generate? Would it you know meaningfully contribute to the advancements of this project through the development phase? Absolutely. So, you know, the, the pilot project we're working on, as I mentioned, it's around 25 million cubic feet a day that we're targeting. That equates to, you know, 50, 60, 70 million dollars a year of cash flow at the asset level. Um, we don't yet know exactly what that is likely to cost us. Part of the flow testing process is to work out how many wells you need to drill to um, fill the pipeline. Um, but, you know, under the regulations that the very supportive NT government have just put in place, you know, we are now in a position that we can apply for production licenses. Um, you know, I'm, I can't really pinpoint for you right now what gas prices should be, uh, are likely to be, because obviously that's the subject of ongoing negotiations. But, you know, I would point out if, if you look at the macro in Australia, um, prices have been trading at extremely high levels last year. Um, the government has actually had to intervene in the market to try and bring some control similar to what's happening in Europe. Um, they've put in a price cap of $12. Uh, the price is trading at $12. So, um, you know, unsurprisingly, when you put a cap in place, it tends to be where the level where um, prices actually trade. Um, and, you know, it also it depends where we sell our gas. So if we were to sell it all the way into the East Coast, right now there's about $3, $4 of transportation cost to get it all the way through to the East Coast. Um, but there are a number of local markets for our gas. So local mines, um, there are gas-fired power stations in Darwin. Um, and, and we have very, very keen potential customers who we're in close conversation with. So, you know, these prices are, are quite strong prices from a historical context. You know, at the beginning of my career, I remember when domestic gas in Australia sold for $2.50 or $3 a gigajoule. Those, those days are well and truly behind us forever, in my opinion. Uh, and we see, you know, a strong market, but including willing purchases of our gas. But again, that's the kind of that we've we've seen a lot of that kind of political interference and price capping put on over over here year as well. But is there ever a distinction between domestic and and commercial, like industrial um, gas usage? Yeah. So essentially, the the intervention in the gas market. Well, so the, the Australian government has intervened in the gas market to protect domestic consumers. Critically, there are no caps on export gas, for example. So, you know, that's quite important because the government wants to ensure that, um, you know, Asian counterparties, for example, Japanese and Korean counterparties 
who are you know critically rely on Australian gas for their energy security um, continue to have that incentive to invest in Australia. So, so this is a temporary intervention in the market really designed to protect Australian consumers who, as in Europe, are facing extraordinary rises in their electricity bills. Um, at the end of the day, the, there's only really one real long-term sustainable solution to high prices, and that's more supply. Um, and, you know, we believe that the Beedaloo Basin is going to play a, a very important role in bringing down price pressure on Australia's east coast by bringing more gas into the market. Okay, well, I, that, that, that's something to keep an eye on for sure. Um, and just um, so if we're going to kind of finish off a little bit, um, how are you for money today? How much, how much cash have you got and how are you allocating that in 2023? Yeah, so um, our quarterly report's coming out in a couple of days, so I won't give you the actual current numbers, but uh, we recently uh, announced some drilling results. Um, we've currently got around $23 million cash in the bank. Our $15 million facility with Macquarie is completely undrawn, so there's capacity there. Um, we also were fortunate to receive grant funding from the federal government, which was designed to encourage an acceleration of activity. There's about another $7 million to come under those grants for work that we have now completed. Um, so we're in, we're in quite a sound position for a small company. You know, for a $150 million company, you know, to have around you know, 25, 30% of your total market cap in available liquidity is a, is a pretty good place to be. Certainly a lot better than the you know, $1 million cash we had in the bank when I joined the business five years ago. Um, and, and what we're encouraged by is that, you know, the work that we will be doing this year and with significant catalysts doesn't involve lots and lots of capital expenditure. We've just completed a very heavy CapEx program. Uh, and this year it's all about production approvals, engineering, investment decision, uh, you know, gas sales agreement and, Essentially, we can do that well within our existing uh, cash resources. Okay, so no, no, <clears throat> no plan for further dilution or capital raises in 2023, is what you're saying? Well, never say never. Um, but, you know, right now we are certainly not planning a capital raise. I can assure you of that, yes. Okay, brilliant, brilliant. brilliant. Alex, um, look, I appreciate you coming on and, and giving us kind of romp through wh where, where you're at and a little bit about the, uh, the team and most importantly, the, the plans going forward. Um, with, and you've, you kind of outlined some of the deliverables um, for you today, but you didn't mention the following, but um, is, is it a possibility? Given the scale of what's ahead of you, would you be looking for more industry partners to come in, not just as like shareholders, but perhaps partners? Absolutely. So, um, you know, we have existing relationships with a number of the major US shale players. Um, and if you look at our board, for example, Peter Cleary, one of our directors, um, extensive experience in marketing LNG to Japan, Korea and China, who ultimately we see as being big customers of ours. Um, you know, we are not running a formal process right now, um, but, you know, I'll be, in, I'll be in the US next week attending the NAEP conference and visiting lots of the players there, updating them on what we're working on. Um, but, you know, to us, bringing in a partner at some point is entirely logical because large companies bring two key things. Uh, significant technical expertise uh, in the case of the Asian counterparties, um, large demand for gas over a long period of time. And obviously they um, you know, have a lower cost of capital as well. So that is certainly part of our plans going down the track.